0: You can find it on the ProfG Pod
1: feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you're listening to Into It from Vulture in New York magazine. I'm your host, Sam Sanders. And today, I want to talk big picture about the state of TV right now. If you are like me, this era of streaming has become overwhelming. There's too much to watch, a lot of it isn't that good. There are too many platforms to watch it on. The writers who make it are on strike because they say they aren't getting paid enough for their work. The whole model feels broken. How in the world did we get here? I remember like 10 years ago or so, everyone was saying that Netflix and streaming had ushered in this golden age of television. But it doesn't feel like that right now. My colleague Joe Adelian at Vulture He wrote a big story about all of this for the magazine recently. It's called The Binge Purge. And it's all about how TV went from feeling so good to feeling so not. To start, we have to go back to that golden age, about a decade ago, when this new upstart called Netflix tried to change everything.
0: Hi, I'm Matt Marenghi, and I'm part of the team that builds the user experience here at Netflix. With streaming, we can bring you a much different and much better experience than what you get when watching traditional television, downloading a movie, or even playing a DVD.
1: I want to just take our listeners back to that era of peak, peak, peak TV, the early days of Netflix when everything just felt so good. You know, Mm -hmm. the House of Cards moment, the Orange is the New Black moment. Set the scene for that moment in recent TV history. What was it like back then? Oh, man,
2: the days. Uh, You know, it it was great because here along came Netflix to sort of say, um, you can watch your shows whenever you want. Streaming means that it's entirely on demand and always ready to watch instantly on virtually any device that connects to the Internet. You can watch shows from around the world. You can watch shows from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago. We have it all. We've got all your old favorites. Then we're going to play some funky new shows that are sort of great. And by the way, you're not going to have to wait every week to see the shows you want to watch. We're going to give you full seasons at once. Yeah,
1: it felt so revolutionary because if you had Netflix, you could watch a back catalog of shows you loved. And then you could also watch... Really, really good shows that felt as good as, like, Oscar-caliber movies. I remember those first seasons of Orange is the New Black. I remember those first seasons of House of Cards. They were just really, really good on top of being on-demand.
2: I, um, back in 2013, uh, the first weekend that House of Cards came out, you know, it was a little bit of an event, but it wasn't a huge event. It was sort of, people were saying, well, what's this sort of curious thing? It was also a Super Bowl weekend, and a lot of people were watching the Super Bowl. I said, all right, I'm going to get this Netflix. I'm going to watch, you know, I signed up for, uh, for House of Cards, not, I don't think I had the streaming before then. And I watched all of them in like two
0: days. I
1: want more than I'm seeing. You're better than this, Francis.
0: Well, I'm sorry, Claire. I am sorry,
1: no, that I won't accept. What? Apologies.
2: And I'd never done that. Like, even mm-hmm. I didn't watch even reality show binges on cable, on EO. And I just, I didn't do that that often. And, and, and then I wrote a story about it for Vulture. It was like, hey, okay, is there anyone to talk about it? Because we needed to create a space on Vulture to get people to sound off in the comments. Because no one knew, like, well, wait, has everyone watched it? Has they, it was you know, a new way to th- watch. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it was
1: completely new. I remember watching all of the first two seasons of Orange is a New Black Mm. on my iPhone. Because I think early on, I hadn't figured out how to watch it on a TV, or my TV was too old or whatever. Uh But I was watching these shows on my iPhone and, like, eating them up. I have a wife. What? A prison wife. Her name is Crazy Eyes, and she follows me everywhere. It was a kind of visceral viewing of television, that you really hadn't been able to experience before. It's hard to overstate the dramatic shift that the opportunity to to binge watch a show, how big of a shift that is for a viewer. It
2: it was that, and also the load time was fast. It just worked. It streamed. Everything was sort of there, and it just made it easy. And then they also had this silent thing called the algorithm that Uh, also somehow managed to say, you know, people are like, oh, the algorithm. I don't need the algorithm.
1: You want the algorithm. You want the algorithm. And the algorithm... It wasn't just good, it was scary good. I remember for a while, they got so granular with it, based on what they knew of your viewing habits, Mm -hmm. the little thumbnail tile photo for Mm -hmm. a show would be different from one person who saw it to the next.
2: Yeah, I did a story for the magazine five years ago this summer uh, about going inside Netflix. And and they showed me all the ways that they created those tiles and it just blew my mind. And they also told me something at the time too, which crystallized for me what was going on is originally Netflix, you know, their whole thing was, we want to be HBO before HBO can become us, right? We want to be the hot, cool place that has the hot, cool shows. And that's early on, that's sort of the model, right? That's how everyone sort of stands out in TV past the network age. You know, even the networks, Mm -hmm. like when NBC back in the 70s and 80s was, like, really down in the dumps. Um, Grant Tinker, who ran NBC at the time, said, first we'll be best, then we'll be first. And he basically said, we're going to yes. do the quality shows, these shows mm-hmm. that critics love, that get attention, and then that's going to bring in people, and, and more people are going to want to work with us. And it worked. HBO came into did the same thing. FX sort of did the same thing with The yeah. Shield and Nip Tuck. You know, uh, AMC did that. They you know, Before they did um, the zombie show, they had Breaking Bad and Mad Men. They sort of got that. and so And that's what mm-hmm. Netflix did. They said to yeah. creators in Hollywood, yo, you we'll can throw do whatever money you want. You. We'll throw money at you. We'll give you
1: freedom. No one's watching. Ratings? Forget about ratings. They weren't even giving notes to these creatives. They were just saying, make a shot. Make a shot. They were just like they would have meetings and come on in. Come on in. Come so on then, in. It's going to
2: be yeah, great. And then yeah. we'll get to what happened.
1: Yeah. So then, okay, this is just 10 years ago. One, we got to point out here, this is just 10 <laughs> years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. It seems as if TV had never been better. It seems as if we're all entering this brave new world where we have the entire encyclopedia of all TV known to man at our... Fingertips and some really good new stuff as well, and movies, and movies. When is the moment when you, as someone who writes about TV for a living, when is the moment when you say, "Hmm, something feels fishy. This math ain't math," and I don't know. When was that first moment for you?
2: Well the, the moment that it changed uh and we go into this in the story is back when Bob Iger uh at, who runs Disney ran, ran Disney then run Disney now. Runs so we'll Disney now, in between. Yeah. <laughs> um he went up and sort of it was in August uh uh you know end of 2017 went on CNBC and, 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 and said, you know, we're going to pull all of our stuff off and we're going to get into streaming. You look at Disney's businesses, by the way, except for the theme park business,
0: virtually all of our businesses touch the consumer through third-party distributors. That's everything from big box retailers to the owners of motion picture theaters, and I could go on and on. This is an opportunity for us to reach the consumer directly, and that's an important step for the company in terms of growth.
2: And this was a decision, by the way, that some people in Hollywood said, even at the time, and certainly in retrospect now, say that Hollywood should have said early on. They should have never licensed their shows and movies, because, Mm -hmm. you know, for all the great technology, everything else... If Netflix had to be like Apple TV and just start off with its own shows, it wouldn't it's have hard. been enough. It would it, it, people yeah. want to have signed up just for a House of Cards. I mean, exactly. That's what changed. They but they had licensed it, and they finally realized, great, we're getting lots of money from Netflix, and this is nice. We want that money because all we think about are quarterly earnings, and it's it's helping the bottom line. They finally said, to like, we got to adjust because if we keep doing this, we're going to get left behind. So that's when it changed, and that's also when Netflix started changing its strategy too. Netflix knew more than ever they're going to have to go broad because they knew they were going to be competing against these big entertainment Mm -hmm. giants and they couldn't just have sort of the best shows they needed more reality shows they needed more CBS shows and so they started thinking about making changes at the top they got rid of their leadership they brought in Bella Bajaria who used to be at uh, NBC and then before that CBS making uh, TV movies in the 90s I I knew her Mm -hmm. then and they started going more mainstream and uh, suddenly they realized like you know maybe we don't need as many good shows we just need shows we
1: just need more we just need more we need more more this is a We went from peak TV to too much TV Because as soon as Disney Plus comes around They have to make original content as well And then all the other players say We gotta get involved too And before you know it There are too many streaming apps to keep up with Too many shows being made to get our attention And I think at its peak There were like a little under 600 original shows Made in one year that was last year. And that's just scripted shows. <laughs> wow. If you count the
2: reality, if you can't for Vanderpump rules and everything else and your below decks, it's it's many, many more. Yeah. Wow. No, the 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 um, you you said too much TV. We we in, in another story I did for Vulture in twenty sixteen was called The Business of Too Much TV. And this was before Disney made uh, this announcement. But even then, in twenty sixteen, everyone in this year was saying there's too much. And yeah. then it got bigger by about another fifty percent. But that was at about four hundred shows. And they said, No, we're gonna keep making more, and then we're gonna launch wow. all these streamers. And it just It just kept going. And And, uh,
1: this is the thing about making all these shows. None of these shows are running commercials. (laughs) So, like, they just weren't making money. And now you end up in this situation in 2023 where there's too many shows and most of the folks who are making them say we're not getting paid enough. You write about this really, really, really fascinating example of a show called The Night Agent, which is a humongous hit. Millions of hours viewed. She's the president's chief of staff. So explain to me how an FBI agent gets sucked into the White
2: House to take orders from her. It's just how she explained the job when she offered it to me last year. You're supposed to report to us both. You seem to have forgotten that half the equation.
1: But the creator of that show told you, by the numbers, he's not making enough. What is the story of that show and what does it reveal about the state of the industry right now?
2: Yeah. So the Night Agent comes on this spring. It's it's doing great. Um, it's it's one of the top ten shows ever for Netflix by their metrics. Ever, students, that really means. But yeah. ever. But it means within the first four weeks uh, of it being on the platform, it had something like six hundred and twenty million viewing hours, which apparently is a wow. lot. Um, and it yeah. is. um it's it's a couple Super Bowls. If you remember this is globally, but um, so Sean Ryan, who's the creator, tells us, you know, that's that's huge. So he calls up his lawyer one day, you know, as big showrunners and creators do to find out. But what does this mean? Like, how much money does this mean? And he's and, and it turns out it means he gets paid what he gets paid. They gave him the money that he was going to get, and that's it. If Netflix is still making The Night Agent, they might come in and say, well, come work for us. We'll give you a Shonda deal, or we'll give you a Ryan Murphy deal. Probably not as big as those, but a big boost. Or he'll find other ways. He will get paid, but he won't directly get the sort of monetization that sort of a big show like The Shield, another show that he did for FX, did when it sold into syndication and went globally around the world, and there were reruns, and it was hugely important for FX, and and so there's no direct connection because Netflix sort of buys out the rights to that show. When it makes it
1: Yes, and it there's no syndication.
2: There's no syndication.
1: And this is actually why well, you see writers striking now. They're saying, oh, if we made a good show 20 years ago, it would go into syndication for up to a decade. I'd be getting checks for a decade. That That is over.
2: That's mostly over, and and everyone involved would sort of there'd be ways for people to get points from it. Seinfeld still making money for Larry David, you know, still. he gets resold and packaged again to Netflix, another huge paycheck. Actors involved get the residuals that go on cable, all of this stuff, all of that sort of went away. And now here's the thing: where this is what networks and platforms like Netflix will say, it's like you know what? Most people didn't get those big paycheck for shows. Remember back in the network TV days, shows would end most shows at the end of a season; they'd be canceled. Six 60, 70% of them would get canceled. We forget about all the shows that would last 12 weeks, 13 weeks, <laughs> six weeks, and they'd be gone. There were a lot of that, uh, those kinds of shows that happened. But the thing is, everyone knew that going in, and, and yeah. they made those bets,
1: and yeah. now they took now it away. Now you can't even bet. You can't even bet now, basically. You, you, you yeah. really
2: can't. You just have to hope that you get so in demand that you can get yourself a great overall deal a like Shondo
1: deal. or Ryan Murphy. All right, more with Joe after the break. But first, if you haven't already, I would love you forever if you subscribed to our little podcast streaming network. Subscribe to Intuit, rate it, review it, tell a friend in real life. And then give them a hug if you're the kind of friend who, like, gives hugs. Hugs are nice.
0: You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever
1: you get your podcasts. So we talk about how bad this situation is now for viewers and creatives. Who is the most to blame? Is Netflix the most to blame? Is Disney Plus the most to blame? Who's the most to blame? I, I
2: mean, um, most to blame. I think in our story, we come down on Netflix as sort of being the the cause of this. And I think that's right. I think Netflix is, and Netflix envy is what did this. I mean, you can't blame Netflix. Netflix went in and did what disruptors do, which is destroy a bunch of stuff. Um, and it works for them and not for everyone else. So it's, it's, it's what's really to blame is everyone's blind allegiance to thinking they could duplicate the Netflix model without mm-hmm. realizing they weren't Netflix. Without doing things, you know, I, I harp on this all the time but Netflix does spend so much money on its user interface and algorithm, and these other companies try to do it on the cheap. If you've ever been to Peacock or Paramount It's a horrible Plus, interface. It's, it's a horrible, horrible interface. Even Amazon, which is a technology company, allegedly, horrible interface. People don't want to spend time in their apps as much, and it just makes it more difficult. So everyone tried to do it on the cheap, and it was, it was. you can blame Wall Street you can, and, and the Wall Maybe Street Maybe that's mentality. the place to blame. Shareholders. Mm-hmm. Shareholders, well, shareholders, shareholders, yeah. And shareholders and viewers, because we all wanted it too, right? I mean, I don't want to blame viewers. It's not our... Our fault, but, but the thing is, we we sort of maybe expected too much. We expected um, that we could get all this TV at a low cost and somehow not pay for it, uh, you know. Well, uh, yeah. And unfortunately, the house always wins, they're Those always are, gonna exactly. want their
1: money. Well, and I wonder if this is really actually part of a larger issue that we've seen in all types of industries with the rise of the internet, the internet and mm-hmm. the potential for streaming. And on demand, everything has decimated the music industry. It's screwed up the news business and it's messed up TV. Like, how much of exactly this is right. just the way that the internet changed everything?
2: Uh, I, there's a big chunk of that. I mean, the thing is, we don't get into the, in the story as much as maybe we should have. I'll, I'll be candid, because um, uh, we had a lot to get to. But, you know, as much as it was Netflix and Wall Street, not doing anything was not an option either, right? Bob Iger can just sit there and say, you know, yeah. we haven't talked about this, but there was this, this this thing called the cable bundle, right? Your cable subscription that you used to pay mm-hmm. uh, 80 $90, and everyone complained and bitched about it, whatever.
0: For more local broadcast channels in HD than satellite
2: with no expensive equipment to buy, get Comcast Digital Cable with HD. But it was great. It was basically socialism for television. It basically meant you paid for a lot of stuff you never watched, but in exchange, you got everything in one place, you knew where it was, and everyone got a lot of shows. Um, so, you know, even if you never watched ESPN, you had to pay for ESPN. You'd pay $8 a month through your cable bill. But that whole model allowed everyone to get paid. It allowed people mm-hmm. to sort of um, have reruns and, and shows to get rerun on TBS and, and TNT and USA. And so that model was great. But it was even before Netflix was really getting cooking, it was starting to fail away uh, because people were going to YouTube. They were playing video games and some of them, yes, were going to Netflix and before Disney Plus plus all that. So they, the, the, that cable model, everyone could see where it was going and everyone rushed to replace the cable model. And and the cable model was incredibly lucrative because people would pay for channels they never watched. And it was really tough and con- inconvenient to cancel. You couldn't just cancel the channels you don't want. You had to buy most of them, right? Exactly. Not HBO and yeah. some of those, but you had to pay for a lot of them. Yeah, but totally. in streaming, it's easy. Just Click a button. And totally. you go on for one month, on for another. And yes, exactly. so it was the internet and the demand that we want that, that sort of forced the hands of these companies totally. to sort of do something different. So I have some sympathy for them.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not quite the same, but you look at how Uber totally mm-hmm. screwed up the taxi system. They didn't know what hit them. And before they knew it, the entire industry has, it has changed right in front of their eyes, you know, and this is this 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 disruption that we've seen across all kinds of sectors over the last 15 years. was the same kind of thing happening with the Netflix of it all.
2: Yeah, it's it's it was all it was yeah. destruction. And the thing is, and but where I do blame these companies is in the way that they competed. They didn't learn any lessons from anybody else, uh, it seems. And it was instead of sort of trying to make it a more controlled demolition of the whole cable bundle model, it was just sort of a complete collapse all at once.
1: And and like this is the thing. It's not that Netflix and all these streamers, you know, maybe aren't making enough money now, and the business model is not as solvent as they wanted to be they've also ruined linear tv no one's going back to linear tv those numbers are down and they'll never recover in the same way that a mass amount of americans aren't going to go back from uber and start riding taxis again it's right. not going to happen right. so they like they didn't just create a new model that's not quite sustainable they screwed up an old model that was and we'll never get that back
2: Right, and I mean, well, Netflix, certainly, and that was Netflix's goal was to to to, store to the kill it. model and, <laughs> to, and kill to say, to say, we're going to come in, and we're going to be better, and and yeah, it, it's as long as we say it's 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 not the old companies that killed it; they had no choice but to sort of adapt, and they just mm-hmm. adapted not as well, and, and 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 you know, unfortunately, look when when we did this story in 2016, the business of too much television, we talked to a lot of creators at the time who were sort of like they saw the problems even then. You can go back in the story that we wrote then, and some of the same issues now. They were starting to say, it's like, is anyone even seeing these shows? Wait, wait, what? Isn't anyone That's marketing? It's like, yeah. wait, is there going to be a back end here? But everyone in and and talking for the news story, people says like, we let it happen in front of us because A, we didn't have a choice, but B, there were some good things. There was more creative freedom. There was, was more where, diversity wait, there was in these writers' rooms. There was, there was more, more diversity rooms. the more people got a chance. And by the way, there was instant success because a lot of people, again, I can't emphasize enough how many shows failed in the old model. It, you know, you get your show greenlit, you'd get it on. It would be on the air in September after the upfronts. And then seven weeks later, the ratings weren't good enough. Boom, you're gone. And mm-hmm. now that ultimately happened. But, but back then, it was sort of like Netflix was like, we'll keep her doing you. We'll keep renewing doing you. And that's also when Netflix changed the rules. we got to talk about this. Netflix also changed the rules. Mike Schur, who's the creator of The Good Place, co-creator of Parks and Recreation, he told us about how one of the ways that the platforms like Netflix said we'll make up for the, the lack of backing is we'll give you performance incentives. So if your show gets to two seasons, we're going to give you a bonus of 100000 per episode. And if you get to season three, we'll give you X – if you get to season four, you're going to get $400,000. But who the hell that, gets to season then, four? Well, back then, everyone thought, why wouldn't you? If you're a success yeah. in the old model, you would last for 10 seasons. Law and Order is still on the air. The Simpsons is still yeah. on the air and it's not even yeah. really a hit in ratings but then they changed their mind and they said oh yeah you're working with two or three seasons exactly it's like, excuse us yeah. and yeah. so they all yeah. signed up for this and then it's like if it, now if you're Shonda Ryan I keep bringing poor Shonda and Ryan Murphy into this but if you They're have fine. that big overall yeah. deal you're going to pay no matter what but if mm-hmm. you're anyone else you're not so but but still that model still felt uh, in some ways that that's still sort of good if you're a failure totally. um, but if you're a success you're really screwed
1: Hey, listeners, before we go to break, I want to tell you about something that we're starting this summer, this show's very first book club. I'm so excited, and we're kicking things off with one of my favorite writers, Brandon Taylor, and his book, The Late Americans. It's a novel called The Late Americans, and it is, I think of it as like a group portrait
0: of young people in Iowa City, and it follows them across
1: a year. And I was just trying to capture a sense of like what it was like to be alive during this wild time we call late capitalism. So here's loosely how it's going to work. We are now giving Intuit listeners the assignment. Go get The Late Americans and start reading the book. We're gonna be taking questions and comments and all kinds of things from listeners. So when we have Brandon back on to talk about this book and do our book club conversation, it's going to include you listeners. Just like, have fun with it, be open, have a good time. Reading is supposed to be fun, guys. I will say there is one rule for book club. Don't you dare fold a hardback book so much that <sighs> it break the spine. Don't do it. Oh. You know better. Don't break the spine. Don't break the spine. Don't break the spine. You won't break my spine. Oh my gosh. Club (laughs) outside. We are in club. Club outside. Beyonce said you won't break my (laughs) spine. LeVar Burton would not want you to break the spine. Don't do it. You know, we've talked about how this new model has been hard for most creators, but it's also been hard for television viewers to watch all this stuff. On top of just having too much stuff to watch, the very nature and structure of the shows that are being fed to me, they're different. One of the creatives y'all interviewed for the piece said, quote, "'You're seeing ideas that should have been movies being elongated into eight episodes, and they don't have the narrative engines to sustain them for that long.'" How much of this system, this new world, has also made TV worse? Is it worse pound for pound now than it was 10 years ago?
2: Uh, I personally don't think so. I think that's too rough. Okay. I think, but I think there okay. is. Because there's too much of everything, there's much more bad TV. So there is, mm. on on. in sure, tonnage, yes. There's a lot of stuff that no one cares about, pays attention to. I do think what has, what is worse is the idea of a television show, right? The idea of shows that create relationships with viewers that go for 20 weeks that allow you to every week tune in and see the characters that you like to watch your Grey's Anatomies or your Law and Orders. People love to come back to the same characters. That is television. And so if you're thinking about television as an episodic medium, if you're thinking of television as something with relatable characters that you form longstanding bonds to, that you invite into your house many weeks a year for many years – Yes, that is worse. There are very few of those kinds of shows around, and, and I know a lot of people who miss them and I miss them too. I, I watch a lot of old episodic T V shows. I will find ways to watch them once a week. I, I about two years ago I decided to to watch a show from the seventies that I'd always seen but never watched called The Rockford Files with James Garner. And I just watch one episode a week. I watch the Mary Tyler Moore show on Saturdays one episode a week Aww. because it's great I know it's very yeah. cheesy. But but I, I like that. it because it's sort of like I want that structure. I like my schedule. I like to know hey Saturdays mean I'm gonna get this and streaming did away with all that. And yes by creating these shows that feel like movies you get some amazing experiences i there are plenty of shows that we've all watched even now people can watch i haven't watched it but people have watched wednesday love that experience they watch you know squid game my god how amazing was that or new season of stranger things when the show was good that's great it isn't really television, though. It's on television, but mm. those are sort of big movies. Uh, my critic friends, my TV critic friends, are always complaining, righteously so, about the fact that so many showrunners want to make a 10-hour movie. Yep. Uh, okay, the White, but I is just a want movie. a TV show. Yeah, it yeah. is. And, and, a movie. and with a little bit of episodic beats, I think Mike White still sort of brings in some sort of every episode's yeah. a little self contained. And, but, but there's, yeah. that's right. It's a season and it's an arc and it's, it's not the same. And, and I love some of that stuff, but give me some old fashioned TV. Totally. Uh, and I think some of that's going to come back. You know, one showrunner said to us, it's like, I keep talking to my friends in Netflix and keep saying to them, when are you guys going to get your prestige heads out of your asses? You can still make good TV like ER or, Depending upon your point of view, the West Wing, Mm -hmm. Grey's Anatomy, whatever, that's not prestige with a capital PTV. Exactly. And that's what streamers need to make more of.
1: Yeah, well, and it seems as if that's the way the industry is moving. One Mm -hmm. of the top executives at Netflix in a recent profile of her said that she's trying to make gourmet cheeseburgers. Mm -hmm. It's still a cheeseburger but it feels nice enough, right? Uh, So I guess hearing someone like her say that, talking to all these executives for your piece, what do you think is next? If we're kind of in a low point for streaming and for TV right now, what's next? Is it fewer platforms? Is it consolidation? Is it less prestige shows? What's next? We talked to
2: a lot of people for the story who brought up Bella's quote about gourmet cheeseburgers, and there is definitely a hunger for that, and the industry is trying to make that. They may have unlearned how to make those kinds of shows, unfortunately. Uh, You know, sitcoms in front of a studio audience were once a big thing in America, and they're really hard to do now because all the people who used to get trained making new ones sort sort of making other types of shows, and you have a whole generation of writers who don't know how to write for a studio audience, and hopefully people still remember how to make those gourmet Cheeseburgers and can find the recipe again. We are going to see more populist fare. Netflix is already moving in that direction. Amazon is doing that with their Jack Ryan shows and and, and other shows. Peacock is going in that direction, I think, eventually as well. Paramount Plus certainly as their franchise. Every show on Showtime that's sort of their most mid-level show, like Billions or whatever, which is a good show, but they're going to just franchise it and do millions or billions will become millions and trillions. You know, um, we're going to see more of that. Unfortunately, um, we are going to see probably fewer. shows shows, and this is a really sad part, we're already seeing it, we're going to see fewer shows from people of color and about communities of color and and other marginalized communities we talked yeah. to multiple people for the story who said pitches for shows that a couple years ago, uh, maybe just thinking a show like a Beef or, or some of these other shows that have been out there uh, or Transparent from years ago, um, those kinds of shows which would have before, a couple years ago, sold like on a pitch. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, people are taking them out and they're not even in any bids, which is the way in Hollywood. It's sort of like they, they make a whole lot of noise about commitment to diversity mm-hmm. and then when times get a little tough and when they're looking for mass audience, they think, well, no one's going to watch that. Exactly. Um, and that's It's not Disappear. There will yeah. be shows. Some of the shows, but they're going to be a lot less of it.
1: Totally. And will there also be fewer platforms? I mean, we're already seeing rumblings of like consolidation and acquisition.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of gallows humor when you talk to executives at some of these legacy companies about, you know, you talk to people at, you know, let's say at the network, this platform now known as Max, formerly HBO Max, and they're like, well, this will do until we get bought out in two years and we change and become part of some other platform. I mean, they're, they're expecting the same thing over at Peacock. Paramount knows that something's going to happen there. I, nobody knows when or how probably not until next year, maybe not until 2025, but the expectation is someone's going to buy, someone's going to sell. You know, there are some conspiracy theorists who think that Netflix and Apple and Amazon sort of want the strike that's going on in Hollywood right now to go on longer because it's going to weaken uh, the legacy oh, yeah, they companies can that broadcast exactly. networks. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, if they can push network TV even further down the drain, uh, that maybe they decide after saying for many years, we have no interest in buying a network, but maybe they do buy a Paramount and strip it for parts, you know? Totally. And, 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 you know, suddenly CBS is just airing shows, old shows from Amazon or leftovers. I, I you know, anything's possible. Yeah. Um, I, I don't pretend to know exactly what's going to happen, but I do think consolidation sadly seems to be a, a no brainer mm. and, and it's going to be more pain. And, you know, someone told mm. us this is a bubble popping. And when that happens, there's a lot of pain. And I think unfortunately, uh, there's a lot more pain still to come.
1: Mm. Mm. I want to tell you my prediction as we close this chat. And you tell me if it makes any sense to you. Um, I think in a few years time, we're going to be back at a system that feels a whole lot like cable bundling. A lot of these platforms will consolidate into each other and they'll have little tiles underneath them that represent channels. A lot more shows on these streaming platforms will start to publish episodes once a week at a certain time uh, in the way that regular TV used to be. I think that there's going to be this weird realignment that pushes us back towards the model I grew up with just through the Internet. And I got to say, as someone who, who is exhausted by having too much TV to watch, I don't think I mind that. I think it might be good. Um, I think and hope
2: you're right. Uh, I, um, there's no, and, and I've said some of this, I, I read a newsletter for Vulture called Buffering, and, and we talk about different ways in which, you know, streaming needs to evolve all the time. And and and, and there's also, there's a very wise man I know, his name's Preston Beckman. He was the um, head of scheduling for many years at NBC during the biggest days of must-see TV, then went over to Fox during the American Idol years. So he he knows about how to put shows on the air at the right time and the right, what kinds of shows, what a mix of shows you want to have on your schedule. And he's been saying to me for years, years. And after the story came out, he said the same thing to me. He said, Joe, everything always reverts to the mean. And I think that's the best case scenario for the future, is that we do get some sort of back to the future scenario where things go back to sort of uh, an equilibrium where you're not remember having to remember, what app is this on? Where do I go? We're going to see this as soon as this winter, finally. Um, you know, Disney Plus is going to start integrating Hulu into the app. like They do, yeah. by the way, in the rest of the world. They don't call it Hulu, they call it Star. Uh, but you'll be able to, if you're part of the Disney bundle, you'll be able to watch your ESPN Plus and your Hulu mm-hmm. stuff along with your Disney Plus and that'll be great. And, and, and maybe Netflix, which has already shown that anything they've said will never happen, might happen. I'm hoping they will experiment. You know, I, I don't understand Netflix keeps showing by picking up shows like Manifest and all these other shows that uh, Lucifer they get canceled by networks they put them on Netflix and they become big hits everybody wants Lucifer uh, yeah and yet they still release it the same way and I'm like why I I think Netflix should still make shows that are bingeable people like to binge anyone who's listening this will I'm sure there are a lot of people saying I like to binge I do not want to wait and I think it should make some of those shows but let's have a mix let's have a balance if you're you're going to make sort of a networky show then release it the way we like it and by the way make 15, 18, 20 episodes, you know, maybe not 22 or 24, but even if you did 16, give us exactly. a chance to form these connections. And you've got some great people like Shonda Rhimes and a few other people who are there. They know how to make that kind of TV. So mm-hmm. let them learn and adapt the model that they grew up on with the model they're in now totally. and invent something new.
1: Yeah. It's 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 very interesting to end on Shonda Rhimes because she is a creative who thrived in linear television and is thriving in streaming and she just thrives and on that note I think we can call it
2: this has been real fun uh, <laughs> yeah. thank you so much for, for having me on and, and uh, really also credit to my colleague Lane Brown who co-wrote the story with me and if, if you see us if you read the story and you see anything that's particularly well-written or funny uh, it was him who wrote it
1: so uh, okay. um, but, but thank you you can read Joe Adalian's piece The Binge Purge which he co-wrote with Lane Brown so on Vulture also check out Joe's newsletter Buffering Alright, Into is hosted by me, Sam Sanders The show is produced by Janae West Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman Jelani Carter and Taka Zinn Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman Our engineer is Daniel Turek Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder And the executive producer of audio at Vox Media Is Nishat Kurwa Alright listeners, we are back on Friday With a brand new episode Till then Go re-watch Orange is a New Black Those first two seasons, man, they pop. Okay, bye.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prof. Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prof Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.